0: Well, today we conclude this series that has been eight chapters, distinct themes or segments of Scripture that we have been looking at to try to understand the Word of God in terms of God's Scripture to us in the broadest picture of kind of having an overview of of all of what Scripture says, which definitely has had its challenges both for you and for me and those of us who have been... Uh, preaching during this time, but also I trust and I pray that it has been rewarding for us to understand more of that. One of the primary purposes of this series has been to understand that the Bible isn't uh, just a book of random stories, but that it is 66 books uh, put together by the Spirit of God that tell one big story, that tell one grand true story, one grand narrative that that speaks from the very beginning of time through to all of eternity that we'll see today. An incredible story of God's love, a holy God, a set-apart God who initiates and desires to have relationship with His creation. And the pinnacle of that creation is you and me, those humans that He has created uh, to be and to enter into His story. As we begin today, I want to just read, and I've got lots of Scripture that we're going to look at again today here, and, and some of it will be up on the screen. Some of it I'm just going to invite you to listen and uh, as I read some of that. And to begin with, I want you to just listen to some of the text that is found in Genesis. I want to go back and just reflect on a few verses from Genesis, and then jump way ahead to the very end of Revelation, and just kind of frame what we see in God's big story here. First of all, some, from Genesis 1. Some text that we read quite a number of weeks ago. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then a little bit further on, it continues in the creation story, and it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He placed the man He had made. And the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit and in the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and a river flowed from the land of eden watering the garden and then dividing into four branches then if you go right to the very end of revelation and i want to just look at a couple of uh, verses there as well too in verse 21 verses 1 and 2 just listen to these words it says then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And a little bit further on in, in uh, chapter 22. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit. And with a fresh crop each month, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb of, and the Lamb will be there, and the servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night. There will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever it just strikes me, even as I read those texts again, of the way that Scripture is bookended in this way. It, it begins with God creating. It begins in a garden with this picture of the, the tree of life. And in the end, in Revelation, it also ends with also this reference to the tree of life again. And it talks also about a river, but now it's, it's about this new city, the new Jerusalem, and how... It begins in Genesis in a garden and it ends in this incredible city, but it sort of mixes the metaphors as this river of life now flows down the very main street of this city. And the imagery that is there in Revelation is so powerful and beautiful, and it leads us to worship. We have walked through about seven, well, we have walked through seven chapters in God's great story, and today we finish off in chapter eight of the chapter of Eternity. It's a topic that I think captures some of life's biggest questions for us. It has many things kind of wrapped up within it that we maybe wonder about. Maybe it's a, a topic and a chapter that you might spend little time thinking about. My, as I talk to people, I realize that as people get older, they think about these things more often. If you're younger, you tend to think about eternity less often. But I think for all of us, the tendency is to, we sort of push some of those things out of mind because we don't know exactly how to think about them. And, and maybe we, we think more about just living in the present, which is not a bad thing either, but we, we struggle with understanding eternity. And if we're honest, it makes our head hurt. It makes my head hurt sometimes when you try to wrap your head around those things. But as we understand this big story of God, it, it should both humble us and cause us to worship when we think about eternity it humbles us because first of all we realize that our life is but a mist it says that in scripture it describes that in different ways throughout scripture in james chapter 4 verse 14 it it, where uh, james is talking about our lives and our plans and how we have a tendency to sort of plan our next steps and tomorrow and all those things and james is saying you need to humble yourself and recognize that god is sovereign god is the one who ordains the days and and he says you need to just be careful about how much you plan because he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In Ecclesiastes, we read references to our life in terms of a breath. And talks about how life is so fleeting. And we're told that over and over again. And so, even as... And and every time we think about eternity... I think any metaphor that we use is limited. And so I was thinking about, okay, what are some things that we could see visually? And so I thought, okay, let's just look at the the, the line of the top step here. You know, if you take it from here and you follow this top step behind that and you go all the way to that side, you know, that's a pretty big line. And then I I pull out some uh, pocket lint here, see if I can find some. Okay, there we go. And I just sort of place it down there. And then I go, okay, that's your life in the span of eternity. Now, now, even that's limiting. Even that's really not accurate. But it helps us to sort of get a bit of an idea and a bit of an understanding. Or, or as it says in Ecclesiastes, it talks about your life as a breath. The air that you breathe in has about apparently 21% oxygen in it. And the air that you breathe out has about 16% oxygen in it because of the transfer that happens in your body. So if you think of, if you think of your life as like oxygen and a breath now let's this is linear now let's move away from linear and let's go a little bit different and let's imagine that eternity is all the oxygen in this room okay pretty big room okay it's all the oxygen in this room and then as ecclesiastes says it says that your life is merely a breath see there it is you see that I mean, I only do that to help us to try to get our heads around a little bit. Okay, so here's your life in comparison to all the other oxygen in the room. That's eternity. Even that doesn't work. But it gives us a glimpse. It gives us just a little bit of an idea of some of what eternity is like. And so when we read the imagery and we read the language in scripture, and we try to get our head around things that our finite minds cannot understand or comprehend, it's challenging. There's no doubt about it. But when we think about eternity, when we read about eternity, it has to humble us. It has to humble us to realize that our life is but a breath. It's like the pocket lint on this step. But then here's the other side of it. Here's the other side of it, is it not only humbles us, but it causes us to worship. It causes us to worship this living God who created all things, who desires relationship with You. Who died on the cross for You. If you read in Psalm chapter 8, we see the other side of this humbleness in terms of humbling ourselves because the psalmist says it this way, when I consider Your heavens and the work of Your fingers, the moon and the stars which You have set in place What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and you crown them with glory and honor. It's a description of how God has created you. How God sees you. And so again, we hold these things in tension of the reality that our life is but a breath, a mist. And yet that you were created just below the angels, just below the heavenly beings, that God has created you in His image. And so today I want to encourage us to live with those those tensions in mind, to live with uh, an eternal perspective. And what does it mean to live with an eternal perspective? Again, I think for some of us, it can be very challenging, probably for most of us. Because we want to live fully alive in the moment. Scripture calls us to live fully alive in the moment, to be fully present in our day-to-day. That is important and true. But at the same time, to live realizing that we are merely a breath. And to realize that in the scope of eternity, that our life needs to be put in a different kind of perspective. You know, when I was thinking about what Scripture says about how is it that we live with an eternal perspective? Or contrasting that, the other. How do people in Scripture, where do we go in Scripture to see people who have lived Differently, people who have reflected on this deeply, and I was drawn again to Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes is one that helps us to understand that and um, and, to, and to look at that. Actually, I'll get to that in in just a minute. Because when we live with a view of eternity, we we see that the things of the moment pale in comparison. We see that when we live in the moment, and sometimes if we live too much in the moment. We put too much weight on the things of the moment and we test them in ways that they were never intended to be actually utilized. Even God's good, good gifts to us, which we'll see in Ecclesiastes. And sometimes we take God's good gifts to us and we, we use them in such a way that we don't put them in an internal perspective and we put our hopes and dreams on them in a way that they were not intended for them so I think throughout history, we see people who have tried to live that way. Throughout history, we have seen people who have tried to live as if there is no God. There is nothing beyond this life. There is only what we see, taste, touch, feel, smell, experience. And yet either way, we can, I think, only end up in despair and futility. Because you see, our soul has been made for eternity. Our souls cannot be satisfied with temporal things. I think we get a glimpse of that when we experience different things in life that maybe are gifts from God that He has given us and we push them to the limit and we realize that they kind of just feel empty. They kind of come up lacking. It's in those moments where we're reminded of the fact that we were made for something different, that there is something bigger in mind. And many of you know parts of my story, my own faith journey, and I'll just share one story that comes to mind in regards to this, and that was in the years in Calgary before coming here and really in a time of wandering in the wilderness and saying, okay, God, what next? What, do you, what is it that you have in store for me? And pursuing my dream of working in the sports world and working in the hockey world and, and in that time in Calgary, had that opportunity to get to know at that time uh, Ron Bremner, who was the president of the Calgary Flames, uh, through a class that I was teaching and he was involved in that. And I, I won't get into all that. But the long and short of it is sitting in his office and actually talking about potentially working for the Calgary Flames uh, in the office somewhere, and there really was no position there, and he didn't offer me anything, but we had become friends, and so we were talking there. And you have to understand that hockey has always been such a passion of mine in so much of my life, and the Flames have always had been always my, my favorite team, and here I am sitting in the office of the president talking about potentially working for the organization. And I, I mean, I remember walking out of the Saddledome that day and going... I don't want it. it. feels empty. There's nothing to pursue here. And that shook me. And we have moments, I think every one of us in our lives, when we come to face something that we think, okay, this is the path. This is what will give me fulfillment. This is what will bring me joy. This is what's going to really fulfill my hopes and dreams and all that I have entailed. And then suddenly you go, it feels empty. There's something more. There's something more. In Ecclesiastes, the author tests these things, these worldly pleasures, deeply. In pursuit of earthly wisdom and knowledge, of which he had more than others, he comes to the end of that and he concludes it this way. In Ecclesiastes 1.17, he says, So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like a chasing the wind. Then he pursued the earthly limits of power. And he found this too was meaningless, like a chasing after the wind. When it comes to money, he pursued money and all the wealth that the world could give and those kinds of things that, that money offers. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 5, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. When it comes to sexual pleasure and the pursuit of women... He says it this way, though I have searched repeatedly, I have not found what I was looking for. And he keeps searching and searching. And as he pursued all of life's earthly and temporal pleasures, even recognizing that they were actually gifts from God, that so many of these things that we can enjoy are gifts from God himself, good and perfect gifts from the heavenly father. But he pursues them and and, and he says it this way in Ecclesiastes 3, he says, or sorry, in Ecclesiastes 7, though I have, no. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are the gifts from God. So he's acknowledging that, that these things are the gifts of God. We should enjoy these things. But what he's doing is he's testing them to hold the weight of his hopes and his dreams and the fulfillment of life. But because his soul is made for eternity, he finds them wanting. Because he discovers that they were never intended to be the focus of our lives they were never intended to be the purpose for why we exist they were never intended to be the things that we put our hope and trust in because when we do that they will always fail so these pursuits and many of us have gone through these pursuits in different ways but these pursuits give us an assessment of our view of eternity also in ecclesiastes he says this he has planted eternity in the in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And this truth that God has planted eternity in our hearts, in our souls, we were created for that. That's something that we really do not understand. But that is the longing that we have deep within our souls that we often don't understand what it is as we pursue the things of the world that come up empty. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17. He said, and this is eternal life, that they know you as the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, Jesus is saying that eternal life doesn't just start after we die, but our eternal life starts now. It starts in this relationship with the living God, with Jesus Christ Himself, that you can begin this eternal life by knowing Jesus. And living with that eternal perspective right now, knowing the eternal God personally, it changes how we live. Now, not only are we called to live with an eternal perspective because it changes how we live today, but we also need to recognize that there's also eternal destination. You know, the world tells us something different. The world tells us that there are many roads that lead to God and all roads are the same and they will eventually lead us to the loving God that accepts all people. And on the surface, that kind of seems right and fair and you sort of go, maybe that makes some kind of sense, but there's one flaw in this thinking. Because the road to God isn't a road at all. It's a person. It's found in Jesus Christ. And it strikes me as you, as you compare world religions and you compare different ways of thinking about who God is and understanding that, that you soon realize that they are very different. And when you get to the very core of different world religions and start to understand them more deeply, you realize that they are very different world views, very different God views, very different eternity views, very different fundamental views on all kinds of things. And you have to recognize this reality that somebody's wrong. It can't all be true. We have to explore this to the deepest levels and have to start to understand and look for answers because you kind of go, no, Scripture says something very different Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it's pointing to Jesus, the one who rose from the grave. So here lies the great offense of the Gospel. That Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through me. As Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6 as he's teaching his disciples and he's wanting them to understand the truth of who he is so you see it's not about just being a good person it's not about just living right loving well those are good things and scripture calls us to those things but they don't save us it's about those who are forgiven it's about those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised Him from the dead, that you will be saved, as it says in Romans. But you know, if Jesus as the only way, is the great offense of the gospel, then here's another one, maybe even more offensive as we think about eternity. Something that I enjoy probably talking about the least when it comes to the gospel and all of Scripture, and that is the, re- the reality of an eternal hell. We love to talk about heaven, but hell not so much. We love to talk about heaven, but hell we just sort of disregard in many ways. And yet, you cannot read Scripture without seeing this reality throughout this story. Again, things that we do not fully understand, but we cannot disregard. Jesus talks about it a lot. Place of torment, of separation from God, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, as he says in Luke thirteen. In Roman, or sorry, in Revelation chapter twenty, at the end of this great story and as we're looking at this today it it speaks about satan himself being thrown into the lake of fire in revelation 20 verse 10 says then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur joining the beast and the false prophet and there they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever and it goes on and it it talks about this final judgment talks about this great white throne judgment that is there in verse 11 and following. It says, "...and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, and the earth and sky fled from His presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. And then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire." This lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These are the hard teachings, the great offense of the Gospel. Part of the story of eternity. And yet in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, as he's encouraging the church, he says, but there is no condemnation. There is absolutely no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because the life giving Spirit gives us life, frees us from sin, and sets us free for an eternity with God Himself. You know, as I was preparing this week and thinking about this morning and just praying into uh, what God would have me share in these texts, I was so humbled again, as I said, about trying to how do you explain eternity? It seems like a massive task that I am. Not only incapable of, but underqualified to do, and all those things. And I thought, in in some ways, it's sort of like me giving you a tour of uh, going this afternoon over to the university and going into the Canadian light source synchrotron, and, and I'll be your tour guide, you know. We'll walk in, and we'll be a little tour group, and I'll walk into this big, massive building the size of a football field, and I'll say, yeah, this is the synchrotron. The big microscope. A lot of buttons here. A lot of pipes, too. I don't know what they do, but I think they look at things really close. That's about all I got. We're done. I mean, how do you explain something that you can't get your mind around? How do you explain and begin to help other people understand things that are so hard to comprehend? And yet, Scripture gives us what we need to understand. And Scripture tells us details and points us to concrete things. And and Revelation points us to imagery and pictures that that take our minds beyond what we see in the earthly world and help us to begin to understand eternity and who God is and to see our lives more than just that one place on the line where we we so often live our lives as that this is all there is and yet there is so much more. So much more. Revelation is a text that is just a wonderful text that, that draws us deep into who God is and some of the pictures of eternity and when you look at Revelation chapter 1 and John is writing about this he says this is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John who faithfully reported everything that he saw and this is his report of the world of God the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ He says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listens to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So even as we read these words, I love that picture and that truth that God blesses us, blesses me as I read these words to you, blesses you as you listen to these words, but blesses us as we obey these words. And this theme that comes through over and over again of this perseverance theme that 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 John is writing to the churches that are there, that are being persecuted by Rome, that they are trying to understand how to live as an oppressed people. I mean, Revelation is not a casual or a light read, but we can understand it. Written to these seven churches that are today in modern-day Turkey. These churches that do not exist there in those locations, at least in the same way in that era, that place of, of Turkey today. where it says in Revelation 3.13, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. And Jesus is speaking to these churches and I believe such powerful messages for the churches of today as well too. He's saying, have you lost your first love? Have you gone cold? Are you missing the point? Are you distracted by the things of the world? I'm calling you to persevere. To stay strong to stay focused on the things of God, to understand who God is in the bigger picture. You know, the book of Revelation is one where people have tried to use it to explain end-time dates and to sort of fix a date that, well, this is what is meant here, and this is when the world is going to end. They've had to readjust those dates often, many times for some. Commentator Terry Muck says this in a quote. He says, No book in the Bible has been interpreted interpreted as variously as revelation people have interpreted it so many different ways so many different things but revelation is a call of how to live now it's a call to live in perseverance because of the eternal perspective it's a call to live in the midst of challenge and in an evil world it's a call to be reminded that there is much more going on than what we can see in our physical world that there is a very real spiritual world that we do not fully understand and do not fully see It's a reminder that God is in control and that the so-called powers of this world are minuscule compared to God. It's a reminder that in the end, God will prevail and that we can live with that hope and we can live with that eternity in, in mind. And it's a book that leads us to worship. Craig Keener states it this way. He says, The true and living God summons us from our preoccupation with the world to recognize in light of His ultimate plan for history, of what really matters and what really does not. And Revelation helps us to do that. To understand in the light of all eternity what really matters and what actually does not matter quite so much as we often think. We can only scratch the surface this morning of this topic of eternity. But I want to just read for you a few more of the text from Revelation 21. And again, a beautiful picture of heaven Some disturbing pictures also of judgment, but that give us again another glimpse into the beauty of eternity as God describes it. Revelation 21, 1-8. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. In these scripture texts, they lead us to see this holy God lead us to worship Him, to be humbled before Him, and to respond. It leads us to ask some of the hard questions of life which I hope that we're asking this morning. Questions that we need to not ignore, but questions that we need to face and say, what does the story of God say about our eternity? What does the story of God say about how we are called to live now in light of that? And I want to conclude by just going back to the invitation in Revelation 3.20 in one of the letters to the churches as Jesus is speaking to the churches and this invitation that is continuously there in the story of God. Where Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You need to know at the heart of God's judgment and the heart of Jesus' rebuke to the churches is this invitation. It's continuously this invitation. Not only that Jesus does not reject them, but that he wants to have a meal with them as friends. And you need to hear today, friends, that this is the continual invitation in the story of God. As Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He says, will you open the door? Will you let me come in? I want you to be a part of this great story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you are a holy God. And Lord, I confess that so often we shrink you down into boxes that fit our own rationality. We shrink you down into boxes that fit our political correctness. We shrink you down into little boxes that help to have our finite minds understand you more. And yet, God, as we look to this area of eternity. As we look at the book of Revelation, it just blows the doors off all of those boxes. Lord, help us to see your word for what it really is. Help us to see your truth for what it truly is. May you, by your Holy Spirit, teach and instruct us in these things. And God, may it lead us to worship. And Lord, I pray for each one here who has maybe been resisting that knock at the door. God, that they would be just compelled by your love and by your Holy Spirit to fling the door open wide and say, Lord Jesus, come in. Change me, transform me, redeem me. And Lord, I pray that for each one that we would understand more through this series our own story, but that we can do that because we understand it more in light of your great story. And So Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would do a very unique work in each one of us as you would want to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done, for reconciling us to the Father and giving us hope for an eternal future with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.